0: Hello hello and welcome back to Mega Ordinary. My name is Megan. And
1: my name is Jordan.
0: And together we are Mega Ordinary. So before we begin, we would like to give our usual disclaimer that viewer discretion is advised for this episode as we will be discussing some extremely sensitive topics that may be triggering to some. These topics include but are not limited to violence and murder. So please listen at your own discretion. All of the information that we are discussing in this episode is readily available online. This content is for informational purposes only. We will also be mentioning some TV shows and some books um, where we have obtained a good chunk of the information from as well. So we'll be mentioning that throughout. Today, we will be discussing Ireland's Vanishing Triangle. So, Ireland's Vanishing Triangle is a term coined by the Irish media, which refers to a number of high profile disappearances of Irish women from the late 1980s to the late 1990s throughout the east coast of Ireland, but specifically in and around the Leinster boundaries, all within an 80 mile radius of Dublin. All of the cases appeared to share some common characteristics. The women's ages range from their late teens to their late 30s. They disappeared suddenly and no substantial clues or evidence of their fate has ever been found, for the most part, despite large-scale searches and campaigns by the Gardaí to find them. The Gardaí believe their remains are likely to be buried in remote fields, bogs and forests, specifically within the Wicklow Mountains. Now, just for anyone listening from further afield and not Ireland, the Gardaí are essentially Ireland's police force, so we will be mentioning them as Gardaí throughout, so just be aware of that.
1: Due to similarities in the cases, a popular hypothesis is that they may be the result of a serial killer. The Guardi set up an investigation task force in 1998 to focus on the unsolved disappearances and homicides called Operation Trace, but unfortunately, just shy of three decades later, these disappearances still remain unsolved. Officially, there are eight women in particular considered part of the Vanishing Triangle. These are Annie McCarrick, Deirdre Jacob, Jojo Dollard, Fiona Sinna, Kira Breen, Fiona Pender, Eva Brennan and Imelda Keenan.
0: We are going to be doing a, a few parts to this. Just because each woman's disappearance is so extensive, um, we'll either be covering one disappearance in episodes or maybe two or three in one episode but yeah the episodes will be over the next couple of weeks just so we can do justice to their stories and give as much detail and shed as much light on them as possible. I recently read the book Missing Presumed by Alan Bailey who was one of the lead detectives on the cases. It is an extremely interesting and in-depth read and obviously he was heavily involved in all the investigations as we just said so a lot of the stuff that we're going to be touching on in this the information has actually come from his book definitely look into giving it a read
1: annie bridget mccarrick was born on march 21st 1966 to parents john and nancy in bayport long island new york annie was an only child and grew up with strong irish catholic roots bayport is actually an area that has a strong irish connection as there are thousands of descendants of Irish immigrants living there and Annie had always wanted to visit Ireland and learn more about her heritage she had actually been in Ireland in December of 1987 i believe for a week with her school as part of a school trip and ever since then she knew she wanted to do further studies in Ireland she told her parents that was her plan annie wanted to be a teacher and she attended St. Patrick's College in Drumcondra for a period of time and then went on to minute She had a great social life here and was well liked by anyone who came into contact with her. She got into a short term relationship with a boy named Philip Brady. And after they split up they stayed friends and she was close to his brother Hilary and his fiancee Rita. Annie got into another relationship when she studied in Minute and his name was Dermot Ryan. They actually graduated together in 1990 but after this Annie decided she wanted to go back to the States and continue on her studies there so they had a long distance relationship for a bit until it seemed to have fizzled out naturally annie stayed in america until 1992 and returned to ireland to do a higher diploma course so she could teach in ireland
0: and just in case we have viewers listening from outside of ireland you have to take irish in school um like primary school and in order to become a teacher particularly of primary school age isn't that right
1: yeah that's right yeah
0: is it secondary school as well or is it just primary school
1: i think it's just primary school yeah
0: because secondary school have different like you'd, tr- you'd like do like religion and geography or you'd yeah, do you choose English the what in-
1: you want to do where in primary school it's a given you have to you have teach. to teach
0: yeah so yeah. you have to yeah of course obviously unless you're exempt from it if like you know you're not originally from ireland or can get like certain exemptions um, from studying it and obviously with Annie being American, they wouldn't. she wouldn't have studied Irish. It wouldn't be on the curriculum. And so she didn't have this. So the her diploma was a way around this.
1: In January 1993, Annie moved back over and was living in an apartment complex in Sandy Mountain at the time of her disappearance. She shared the apartment with two girls called Jill and Ida. And they all became really good friends. Annie was working at a cafe called Cafe Java which was on Leeson Street in the city centre. On the 25th of March 1993, one day before she vanished, Annie was actually in work but it was back in the day so it was cash in hand and when Annie's shift finished at 3pm, she told the manager she would be in the following day to collect her wages and that she would bring in some cakes. She apparently loved bacon so this would have been a normal thing for Annie to do. Annie wasn't actually due to work until the 27th but she didn't show up to the cafe for her wages. On
0: the day of the disappearance, March 26th, Annie had visited the AIB bank branch in Sandymount to transfer her account from the Clondalkin branch to there because she had previously been staying in Clondalkin when she arrived back from the States with her ex-boyfriend's brother and sister. Not brother and sister. Beyonce, Hilary and Rita, and she had set up an account in the Clondalkin branch. So she just went in to... Get it transferred. And this was before 11am. And after this, she then went to Quinsworth to pick up a few bits of shopping um, or groceries. And this was a supermarket. And after this, when her errands were all ran, she went back to her apartment. Now, she had perishable stuff in the shopping bag, like meat, cream, and butter, that would have needed to be refrigerated pretty promptly. But she had just abandoned it on the floor of her apartment. Which indicates that she didn't expect to be out for long. Um, they found this in the coming days after they'd realised Annie was missing. When they got into the apartment, um, when the housemates had returned, the bag was still sitting on the floor. Like just as she opened the door, she just kind of left it to the side, which was strange. also made a call to one of her friends, Anne, asking if she wanted to go to Enniskerry for a walk. It's a beautiful town close to the Wicklow Mountains, near the Powerscourt Waterfall. It's a big tourist attraction um but even us we would go there like we'd we'd bring our dog there and go on like family picnics and stuff during the summer yeah
1: it's quite popular yeah
0: it's a gorgeous gorgeous area but at the same time regardless of how many people go there and how big of a tourist attraction it is it's extremely isolated and remote you'll get more of a picture of that particular area as we the Wicklow Mountains as we kind of go on but Anne had injured her ankle a couple of days prior and she couldn't go. So Annie had said to Anne that she was still going to go by herself. There was a plumber in the apartment complex that day and he had seen Annie leave at around 1pm. He remembered her as they had a brief pleasant exchange. Like he said hello, she said hello back and then she left out the apartment door. He was there doing work on one of the other apartments. When Annie left the apartment complex, it's believed that she headed to get the bus um, nearby, New Grove Avenue it was called. Um, the public bus terminus was located. Um, if she wished to travel to Inniskerry, Annie would first have to get the number 18 um, from Sandy Mount across the South City to Ranala. And then once she was in Ranala Village, she could then take the 44 bus direct up to Inniskerry Village. So as Annie approached the 18 bus at New Grove Avenue, the bus was actually pulling away from the stop. So she had broke out into a run and was chasing after the bus. And a local man that owned the Borza Takeaway in Sandymount. His name was Bruno Borza. He told the guardie later that he seen Annie running to catch the bus. Which had then stopped when the driver obviously seen her running. And then she got on and the bus drove away. Another witness seen Annie get on the 44 bus to Anna Scary, um it was believed to be a friend or a colleague of um Annie's, and she was sitting down the end of the bus, but the bus was really packed. So when Annie got on the bus, she immediately just went straight upstairs to the upper level. So she didn't like have a conversation with her, she didn't like see her after that because her stop was just a couple of few stops away, so Annie was obviously still on the bus. Everyone that seen Annie that afternoon said that she was wearing a tweed jacket jeans dark red boots i think they were supposed to be like cowboy boots and with a pattern on them and she was carrying a big distinctive tan shoulder bag like a tote bag also annie was five foot eight so she was tall so she would you know you, you would see her
1: on the morning of march 27th annie was due at work at cafe java but did not arrive Nor had she contacted any of the staff to notify them of this. This was very, very out of character for Annie. She was very punctual and her absence was commented on by other staff members. And she never showed up to collect her wages that Friday afternoon either. At 8pm on that Saturday evening, Hilary and Rita arrived at Annie's apartment complex as there was a dinner arranged that evening with Annie.
0: So, Hilary and Rhea stayed outside the apartment for 20 minutes because they were knocking on the door, and they were very surprised that there was no answer, seeing as they had this planned weeks in advance. Now, this was a time, it was 1993, it was a time before phones got, like, really, really big, and most people only had landlines, and actually annie's landline wasn't working at the time there was an issue with it so she was actually making her phone calls from nearby phone booths as well so the phone so the phone call that she had made to Anne, her friend to see if she wanted to go on a walk and Anna scary earlier that day was actually made from a nearby phone booth in sandy mount so they thought it was weird but they said right okay look maybe she got held up somewhere maybe you know she got held up in work for example they went to a pub Um, for a drink nearby and they stayed there for half an hour and they went back to Annie's flat and once again no answer. So Rita actually suggested that they go back home to Clendalkin and and ring Annie from there. When they got home they realized they actually didn't have the phone number so they rang Nancy and Annie's mother in New York and she gave them the number they kind of told it look we had prearranged a dinner date but there's no answer and then they just thought no more of it really. They tried ringing and ringing and ringing all Sunday um, the apartment and they weren't getting any response as we had said the phone was actually broken at the time. They then decided to ring Cafe Java and when they did the manager told them look we were thinking the same thing shouldn't show up for work we're all a little bit concerned and that's when big alarm bells
1: went off. that Sunday evening, Jill and Ida returned to the apartment. They were extremely surprised to not find any waiting there to welcome them. They were also very shocked to find the plastic bag full of food um, still against the wall inside the front door of the apartment. The shopping bag was full of food that should have been put in the fridge and had gone off due to sitting there for so long. Rita and Hilary had checked with Jill and Ida and also again with colleagues at Annie's workplace on the morning of Monday the 29th.
0: They then rang Nancy once more in New York to ask if if she'd had any contact at all with Annie over the weekend. When she heard that they'd not been able to contact her daughter all weekend and Nancy hadn't heard from Annie either, Nancy immediately changed her travel arrangements and flew to Dublin that evening, Nancy was actually meant to come over in a couple of days to spend time with Annie. She'd booked flights, they'd arranged this like months in advance, but obviously with no one being able to locate Annie, she flew over straight away. And she ended up staying in Ireland for two months after this to try and locate her missing child. Nancy was collected ...at the airport by Hilary and Rhea... ...and they went straight to Irish town Garda station... ...and formally reported her missing... ...almost 80 hours after anyone had last had contact from Annie. So seven days later, by the end of the week... ...a formal appeal to the public was made for assistance. Annie's photograph was published in the media. Information was sought in relation to her whereabouts and well-being... ...and the appeal actually elicited two extremely vital responses at the time so a doorman at the famous traditional irish pub that's situated in Eris- Enniskerry in the Wicklow mountains called Johnny Fox's contacted the police station it's around a half an hour drive from dublin city centre and about 3 miles from enniskerry village it was established in 1798 and apparently it's the highest pub in ireland and it's actually a really really beautiful place regardless of what may or may not have have occurred there it's a really nice pub if you're ever coming to ireland i definitely recommend it lots of celebrities have visited there as well it's a big tourist attraction and annie had actually said to her mother that she was planning a trip for the both of them to go there to see it when she arrived on her holidays So the barman Sam had been working on the main door of the function room attached to the pub on the night of March 26, 1993. And a folk group called the Jolly Ploughman were playing there. And the doors were due to open at 8pm. Back then, like, there was an admission fee. There's still kind of admission fees now in and around, like, pubs and events like this, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I think it's more applies to, like, the bigger events now rather than the smaller events. Yeah, yeah but it's probably a way for the pub to kind of make money or something back yeah, then yeah
0: exactly and also it was two pound so it's about two euro 250 now so it's cheap enough like well at the time i don't know if that would have been considered cheap but nowadays in ireland that is very cheap but i'm sure if this was actually happening nowadays it'd be like 20 euro admission fee but yeah. <laughs> so Sam Anne, and another security man, Paula O'Reilly, were supervising the collection of this admission fee from the patrons as they entered. And they said that sometime after 8 p.m. that Friday, a young woman and a young American woman had walked into the function room. She was looking around inside the door. It was like she was looking, you know, sussing out and trying to find a seat. She then strolled past the little kiosk desk um without paying the entry fee, so they kinda told her, Look um it's an entry fee you know blah 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 blah. so she looked a bit surprised because obviously she wasn't familiar with this so she went to put her hands in her bag as if to try and find you know the two pound when a man that was standing behind her was like oh look it's fine like I'll get it for you and she was like oh thank you and then she walked off and the security man said that like Annie walked into the pub well who he thinks was Annie walked into the pub and that man walked behind her but no one ever seen them leave together. So not a single person in a packed pub that night. seen these two people leave separately or together. Which is strange. Now in the book and Presumed. The author says that there was an American tourist at the show that night. Who had an uncanny resemblance apparently to any. And they even dressed in a similar style. And apparently that their their dress sense was so similar that when the Gardaí were investigating, they ended up having to ask this particular woman not to wear certain clothes items because they became inundated with calls of reported sightings of Annie that ended up to be this other woman. That is... Where would that happen, like? Two American women in the same vicinity as each other that wore the exact same clothes, apparently. And people actually... I just think that's too weird. Do you? Especially considering Annie went missing. Like, it's just weird. But anyway. um, As recently as 2010, apparently. The author of the book. Alan Bailey. And... Another superintendent that was in charge of the Garda cold case unit interviewed a witness who claimed to have met Annie a few days after the sighting in Johnny Fox's and they determined that from the location given to them and the description of the clothing they were satisfied that this had in fact been another sighting of the other American woman and on the night of the 26th of March this other American lady had been accompanied by her mother and Hadn't been involved in any incident as described by the security guard Sam, so the police don't really know what that was all about. They don't know if that was actually Annie McCarrick in the bar at the same t- that night as the same time as that American woman. Years later, um. I was actually watching a documentary, um, an RTE documentary, which is an Irish broadcasting television station and network. They'd done um, a documentary there this year about the Vanishing Triangle. Obviously, because new information came to light, they're trying to keep this fresh in people's minds, the usual. And a lady was interviewed on it, and she had said that her mother, who sadly passed away in 2020... Was working in a cafe in Enniscary at the time called Poppies. And the mother was adamant that she had seen Annie McCarrick in Poppies on the day of her disappearance with a man. She was adamant. Apparently, the daughter says that she went to the police. She kept going to the, or sorry, the guardee. She kept going to the guards. They were listening to her but they weren't taking any notes and then they just kept making appeals but never mentioned this sighting and the mother thought it was really weird but she went to the grave adamant that she had seen annie mccarrick in that cafe on the day of her disappearance with an unknown man so there's two potential sightings of her in a and she got the bus to Enniskerry. so yeah Now, no one has ever been arrested in connection with Annie's disappearance, but there has been a large number of persons of interest in the investigation. In the first few weeks of the investigation, it came to light that Annie had had a brief um, meeting with a former associate on the Saturday before she vanished. She'd shared this information with one of her friends, expressing huge regret at having let things get out of hand. The incident itself wasn't of huge significance but it was denied by this associate, this male that she had named um, when the Gardie questioned him about it um, and he tried to supply an alibi and everything but it ended up being that he only, like he did meet her, he admitted in the end but he was just lying and trying to get an alibi going because he was in a relationship and he didn't want his partner to find out like like he literally could have caused a whole world of problems for himself there by lying especially about something so serious like i mean i think that in instances like this when someone vanishes or someone is killed or whatever it may be that i think it's you would i'd like to think that you tell the truth rather than trying to just hide something from a partner i feel like i don't know Like, he could have literally been implicated in her disappearance. Do you know what I mean? And this is where it gets crazier. So, there was another person of interest in the investigation who apparently, allegedly, has still yet to be eliminated. Now, we don't know who this man is. We don't have any names. We don't have any... inkling of, of who he exactly is, but... Apparently, this man, or this is the man who walked into the pub behind Annie that Friday night. Apparently, police learned that the man who the security guard told police that paid for Annie's admission at Johnny Fox's that night was, in fact, a named, quote-unquote, hitman for the IRA. Apparently, this man was on the run from... Northern Ireland after carrying out a brutal murder um, apparently the suspect was in his late 20s at the time and on the 26th of March he'd been staying with some friends in a safe house in the Raffarnham area and was keeping a low profile and decided to go to this pub because it was off the beaten track and according to the Guardian. they had a source that was considered to be extremely reliable and this source says that and again this is all alleged like this is this is information that's out there already this source said that the man was in the pub and was smitten by annie And they spent the night together having drinks and chatting in the pub. And it's theorised that on realising how interested in all things Irish Annie was. That as the drinks were flowing more and more he had tried to impress her. By divulging some of the stories about... What had happened... In the... In his time in the IRA. And he may have... Said something that he couldn't take back, naturally, and realised that the only way to resolve it would be to get rid of Annie. They then theorise further on in the book that maybe Annie told the man that she lived in the Sandy Brown area, and he'd said to her, "Oh look, I'll give you a lift home." Because it would be very hard to get a lift from there especially late at night like you wouldn't it's literally in the middle of nowhere even driving up there is quite scary isn't it?
1: Yeah like even now it would be pretty tough to yeah. get a, a lift back from there or yeah. a bus back from there Nearly
0: impossible I'd say wouldn't you?
1: It's only really hard coaches that go up there and yeah. they have stop off and connection points For like,
0: for like yeah for, tourist. for tourists away. Yeah
1: But you wouldn't be catching a bus or we no. do we know real bus stops up there? You
0: couldn't even really walk on them roads
1: No There's no footpaths really No, no.
0: Don't, I don't think there is any at all apart
1: from the village in scary. Yeah, but that's about it
0: but at Johnny Fox's itself no.
1: no 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 the road there is barely big enough never mind have a footpath
0: yeah no definitely not and they're so windy they're high like at this think of this if you're not from Ireland and you've never been here like mm. it's an extremely remote pub like I can't even get more in depth than that even for us like it's remote and I grew up in the countryside so yeah it's remote They then theorised that he told her that he needed to use the bathroom and they agreed to meet in the car park at the rear of the pub. And this as well would have been why maybe no one seen them leave together or leave at all because they wouldn't have left together if that was the case, you know. The source then goes on to say allegedly that they met in the car park and and Annie got into the car and this man had a strangled... Annie and concealed her body in a nearby ditch, marked the spot, and then he drove back to his safe house in Rafarnum, where he subsequently told whoever was in that safe house the story of what happened that night. And then they drove in convoy back up to the spot where Annie had been left, transported the body somewhere deeper into the Wicklow Mountains. you'd never be found up there no Uh, which is why i believe obviously you know the majority and this is just my own opinion but it seems to be an opinion of a lot of people everyone's kind of on the general consensus that this is where these these victims are these women these missing girls are now it's said that shortly after annie vanished this particular man returned to northern ireland continued his duties in the IRA and apparently there was an allegation made a couple of months later against him by a teenage daughter of another prominent IRA member in connection with an incident of serious sexual assault. Apparently there was an internal investigation and both this man and the young girl's father both considered to be very powerful men within the organization Feared that a ruling in favour of one before the other could lead to a significant rift. And so exile seemed to be the way to go. And it was decided that this man would leave the country altogether. And allegedly this particular person was sent to a state in America. There was a job secured for him. um, And he was warned never ever ever to return to Ireland again or he would be killed. Now apparently this story only came to the attention of the Garda within the last few years. They believe it's a highly plausible explanation for any disappearance and one that they would consider a main avenue of the investigation. But as we said, this is all alleged and it is in the book Missing Presumed by Alan Bailey.
1: So Annie's family would return to Ireland again in August of 1993 and continue to carry out their own inquiries. In the years since Annie's disappearance, either one or both of them would make the long journey over to me with the investigators to be updated on the progress of the case if there was any. Had been made in the investigation. So, John and Nancy's marriage had come to an end in 1998 and they had divorced due to the stress and the pressure of their daughter's disappearance. John died of a broken heart in 2007, never knowing the fate of his missing daughter Annie. A couple of years ago, Annie's disappearance was upgraded to a murder investigation nancy hopes that one day her daughter's remains can be found and returned so she can give her daughter the dignity of a proper burial nancy stated that this is far more important to her than knowing the identity of the person who took her daughter's life so we will be back next week discussing the disappearance of Jojo Dollard. So until then, stay Stay safe safe, guys. guys.